Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and the podcast is in partnership with PR Daily, which is the preeminent brand for public relations professionals delivering news, advice, opinions, and benchmarking via PRDaily.com. Join me there to find more episodes for the podcast. And if you like the podcast, please do leave a review and share it with your colleagues so that more folks can find it online. Thanks so much. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's guest is my colleague and friend, Joe Matthew, who is Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. And I'm excited to say that the show will air just in advance of a brand new set of programming that's coming up for Joe. So welcome, my friend. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, well, thanks for having me. How cool is this? Well, it's, We've turned the tables, Lisa. I Ordinarily, I'm on the other side of the desk, and here we are today. Right. I'm asking the questions. I'll try to go easy. Uh, so, so Joe, we've worked together for a long time, and you're doing a lot of really great work at Bloomberg, and I want to get to the new programming that's coming up. But will you talk to me a little bit about yeah. your background? Because you've been in broadcast for some time now. Um, yeah, gosh, it, since um, before I could drive, it's it's pretty funny. We grew up in a small town, and you can find yourself involved in a lot of things that you might not be able to in a, in a big city, like starting to talk on the radio. And I, I, I got my first opportunity to work in radio when I was 14 years old, um, which is, you know, might sound weird. But look, like I said, it was a small town in New England. There was a local radio station that needs somebody to run the, the board for Red Sox games. And they let me play a couple records while I was at it. So it was I, I felt, you know, very much at home and, and fell in love with it very quickly and within a couple of years found my way into the newsrooms because those guys seem to have a much more interesting job than the, the disc jockeys. And it was kind of on from there. Um, I, I spent a good deal of time in the Boston market and, uh, and then came down to Washington, DC uh, right before the turn of the century and uh, worked with CBS radio here for a while. Eventually went to satellite radio, what was then XM satellite radio, which is based here in the district and started the POTUS politics channel. And that's when I really got sort of steeped in the Washington thing um and and really understanding what goes on inside the beltway and what it means to cover the white house in capitol hill uh and and i went away for a decade and i wasn't here for any of the trump years i was actually working for uh for npr up in boston doing morning edition along with a couple of other things and when bloomberg called i thought you know what i think we should go back and so that was a couple of years ago at this point hard to believe so here i am now it's been a great experience at Bloomberg. Uh, it's a very different newsroom and a very different media operation than anything I've ever been involved in. And really? it's, I, I work with some of the smartest and most professional people I've ever been around here. It's been it's been really great. Well, and it's growing, too. I mean, it feels like there's been a lot of even just in the last few weeks with you, with the announcement of um, yeah. of balance of power. Talk to me a little bit about before we get to that, because that's sort of the news mm -hmm. of our show today to talk about. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about, too, though, because um, you do broadcast, you do a lot of radio. You also have uh, your, you work on the podcast, you do um, TV. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about uh, at least up until now, what it is you've been doing for Bloomberg. Well, I host a radio show called Bloomberg Sound On that uh, I inherited when I came to work here. It was the, one of the main reasons I came here. Uh, that was at five in the afternoon. It was a one hour show. And I, I always sort of thought of it as like the playbook on the radio. It was like, here's everything you missed today. This is everything you actually need to know 
uh, and why you should care that happened while you're at work today inside the Beltway. Uh, and it went so well, they expanded it and moved it. So it's two hours uh, long now, and it starts at 1 p.m. Eastern right. time on the Bloomberg Radio Network. It's on satellite radio as well. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, Balance of Power, mm-hmm. which uh, is moving uh, on Monday the 13th to 5 p.m. Right. That's an hour-long political show. Uh, that will have a very similar theme that that sound on had at that time mm-hmm. as we kind of get together and, and look at everything we've missed during the day and 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 talk to smart people bring in newsmakers and you know Bloomberg's got a very special audience with a very specific view on things uh and and we try to tailor our content to them it's not a, it's not always the same conversation you would have on another network That's right. uh, i'll be joined by my co-anchor Anne marie hordern the other washington correspondent here mm-hmm. and we're going to try to do something a little bit different uh, which we're lucky to do here at bloomberg it's not like being on one of the three-letter networks where you're you know you're trying to sell ads and get ratings and do all this stuff and it's focus grouped and everything this is a very uh serious news program steeped in policy talking to people about serious uh, stuff that that affects people's lives and and policy and the way the, the this country operates, but we'll also have a chance to chat and you know talk about some of the wacky stuff you missed. I mean, the hearings alone, Lisa, that we have been seeing on Capitol Hill lately, uh, could be their own reality show. I mean, there's okay. so much to pick from every day. It's like, no what doubt. don't we use? Yep. I mean, there's no question about it. And and what's fun to me about the show, the way you've done uh, Sound On and now Balance of Power, will sort of it sounds like it's going to be extension of that or really sort of something that's grown from that is that it's, yeah. it is a lot of fun. Every day is a little bit different. Every day is, you know, what have you missed? What's going on? I mean, Washington, for those of us who are um, consuming news from Bloomberg, I think you're right. I think the audience is just a little bit different than the other networks. How do you, uh, inside the newsroom, how do you perceive your audience? Like, how is it, who is it that you feel like uh, you're talking to every day? When you prepare your show, who is it that you envision you're having a conversation with? Well, of course, we're always looking for, you know, the intersection of Washington and Wall Street, as we say it. Um, but you've got a couple of different audiences. You know, we always talk about the terminal, which if you don't know what the Bloomberg terminal is, you should really have one. Everyone should. Um, it's it's sort of the ultimate uh, piece of software and and computer system for, for gathering data and news charting, everything that you need kind of all in one spot, which is why it's in every institutional uh, trading floor and every investment office, you know, that's going to be the really hardcore user that's looking for information to base investment decisions on. On the broadcast side, though, it, we're, we're not always talking to just that crowd. You know, if you're on TV or radio, a lot of different people could show up. So I really try to strike a balance between, uh, you know, the really esoteric information that some traders or investors need, but also talk to people and and translate that to people who are not that or you know maybe who want to be that or think that Bloomberg is an unbiased source that they can trust you mm-hmm. know because they're getting tired of the noise on cable news or whatever it is so to be really honest i always have a couple of members of the audience in my mind because i don't think it's quite as monolithic as it might be for our readers for instance but I then think again right. you know if you look at bloomberg.com as opposed to the terminal that's a much more consumer friendly thing we're, you know, we're we're getting a lot of subscription growth there too. So I see people coming in from a lot of different areas. And as we relaunch these shows, I think it will have a little bit more of a broad base of appeal 
uh, than than it might have had a couple of years ago. And that's frankly what we're busy working on right now. Yeah. And, and it's it's certainly it's visible from the outside looking in. What's interesting too, Bloomberg hmm. for so long, having been a kid that grew up just outside of New York uh, and, and yeah. for some my I went to college with a, a lot of friends who, by the way, still work at Bloomberg it, working behind the terminal and doing that cool work that you just talked about, because it is really um, no question about it. If you've not seen it, it is really a thing of uh, just an amazing resource and and it's a, a, a must have for for those of um, my colleagues and friends who are on Wall Street. The interesting thing, too, though, is that now Bloomberg is actually and has been over the course of time, over the, even the course of the last 10 years, really making a concerted investment in the Washington, D.C. market, not yes. only um, in broadcast, but just in information sharing as a whole. And that to me sounds like, well, number one, it seems to me to be very bright and smart because so much of what happens here really does uh, have an impact not necessarily in the way people typically think about it, but has an impact on the markets, on on New York mm-hmm. and on Wall Street and really globally as a whole. But Washington, D.C. in general, just having a bigger presence here in town makes a lot yep. of sense. What do you see as SoundOn expands and grows and, and becomes this great program that I'm excited is moving here to Washington. What are you and Anne-Marie working on behind the scenes? Like what kinds of things are you guys envisioning coming up over the course of the next couple of weeks and months? What are you hoping to beyond the, uh, excuse me, the uh, reality TV that is Capitol Hill right now? Yeah. What other cool <laughs> things? We'll dip into some of that. Of course. Um, well, you know, on balance of power, I think it's going to be, there's going to be more of an opportunity, I think, to to bring people in and actually just have conversations instead of a string of interviews, if you will, or, you know, kind of a more traditional news program, we're surrounded in this bureau by really smart people who are super connected and are breaking news on a regular basis. When I watch our competitors, I'm hearing them credit Bloomberg more than ever with breaking news from Washington. Uh, And to your point, yes, it's a big deal for Bloomberg right now to be investing in Washington, D.C. When you look around and see all the cuts that are happening and in other media companies, uh, it's meaningful what's going on here. The amount of hiring that's been done, the expansion uh, of our news team for Bloomberg News, for Bloomberg Government and Bloomberg uh, Industry uh, and Bloomberg Intelligence. You know, all these brands are kind of coming at policy from a different angle. And I'm seeing faces in this bureau that uh, that I've never seen before. And that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, when I talk to my my friends who work in the business, that's that's not really what's going on around Uh, the landscape right now. So our goal is to pull all of these people together. We have resources without even walking out the door that have never really fully been realized, I think, for broadcast. I try to do it on the radio on Sound On. We're going to do it on TV on Balance of Power. And we're going to bring people like you in here. And that's that's an important part of this, too, creating uh, panels of really smart folks who are who are really good at what they do, steeped in the business here inside the Beltway and can speak you know, candidly about what's going on here. And and that for me is the fun part. It's great to talk to lawmakers and, and break news. We're going to do a lot of that too and, and try to try to get blood from a stone when you talk to members of the administration, no matter which administration That's it is. That's right, yeah. I like people who are in the circle, uh, mm-hmm. you know, consultants, strategists, lobbyists who are talking to everybody and actually know what the news is going to be tomorrow. That's when we're doing doing this right, I think. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. It, it certainly is a lot of fun to be able to have a conversation 
members, lawmakers, administration folks, even regulators in some way, really have to be careful about how they uh, have a conversation with you on broadcast because a lot of what they're doing isn't quite ready for prime time, right? So they're they're a little more careful. They're a little more, whereas somebody like me who has spent a little bit of time on Capitol Hill, spent a little time in the administration, and now a little bit of time outside of there, I have the ability to uh, sort of call it what it is and and sort of look into my very cloudy Washington, D.C. crystal ball and, you know, share sort of what I think might happen. Um, but you talked a little bit before we got into the Bloomberg story about how you spent a lot of time in broadcast in the market, right, in in Massachusetts and, and doing that. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the difference and and because so much of local news is obviously every single day we hear a story about another friend who, you know, they're closing the, they're closing the bureau, they're changing the landscape media itself, as you and I knew it coming up in this business has really changed a lot. Um, But you've spent a lot of time. You said you were in Massachusetts and came to DC and then you went back for 10 years. Tell me Mm -hmm. a little bit about how that helped you building your brand as a broadcaster for Bloomberg. Talk to me a little bit about the difference between the two. Well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of night and day. Like nobody, nobody really understands Washington outside of Washington. So having that background actually helped me cover a lot of things differently when I was, when I was back in Boston. And, you know, a city like that is is interesting. It's about the same size as DC, but it's another universe. And the way news is covered is very different. And there's not a lot left. I think I understand where you're going here. And, you know, when you look at the number of court reporters who are gone, the number of reporters who are, who are digging through police blotter on a local level, the number of stories that are being missed, the corruption that is likely going uh, unfound because of the cuts in local media, uh, it, it's profound. The national media is incredibly important. The stuff that we cover here in Washington, uh, or at least attempt to cover here to the best of our ability, uh, you know, is some of the most important reporting. This is it has global impact. You see the markets move. You know, when when there's news around the debt ceiling or the president's dropping his budget as as he did uh, recently, whatever that is, is uh, is of top importance. But on the local level, there's a lot of stuff that really impacts people's lives more directly or more immediately, or at least they see that. And you Mm -hmm. can create a relationship with your audience that's incredibly important. You know, it's one thing to listen to somebody on a network talk about a national story from Washington, and you try to cut through and talk to people on an individual level. But on a local level, when you're talking about the roads that people drive, the schools that their kids go to, the prices they're paying locally, uh, that resonates in a very important way that you cannot discount. And it breaks my heart to see local media fall apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. There are pockets of strength around the country. There are other areas that have been decimated. So it kind of depends on where you are. Yeah. But I think in the end, you can't have one without the other. I totally uh, agree. Otherwise, you're going to have a really weird balance in the news that's getting out to people. And that's why you see so much crazy on Facebook and everywhere else, because people think that's what the news is now. Yes. And that was actually the point that I was getting to is that we talk a lot about how um, up until, you know, really, I mean, who's to say what the catalyst was for it. But many say that the shrinking of the local newsroom is what has really sort of uh, excited and really sort of turned up the volume on this dissatisfaction that we're seeing in the social media spaces and other places. Um, Talk to me a little though, because I know while you were in um, the local market, you actually won a Edward R. Morrow award. 
what specifically was that yeah. for award for? Tell me about that. Cause that's a big deal. And I want to know more about that. Well, it's nice of you to notice that I was part of a team that, that won that uh, award and, and, and to get the best newscast award like that on a national level was a big deal. Uh, that actually that was a really, that was a morning I'll never forget. Actually, you know, the way they do this, they'll actually take your newscast from a specific day when you sort of least expect it. And and they'll make that the entry. In this case, it was a morning in Boston that followed the Patriots winning the Super Bowl and a massive blizzard hitting the city. And it was one of these mornings where we had two lead stories and everyone's head was exploding and everybody was up all night celebrating the Super Bowl. I and bet. then we had like seven feet of snow the next morning. Um, and and that look, that that's the point, right? They, locally, nothing in Washington mattered that day to people who lived around there. Yeah. It was digging out of a blizzard and and celebrating their Patriots from the night before. Right. Um, I was also fortunate to be on a team that that actually, uh, uh, sorry, I can't even think of what I, I, it's not Pulitzer, it's the other one, but we, you know, we covered the, uh, the marathon bombings. We oh, were, right. I, I was in Boston for that period of time. Right. And that was something that was a life changer for people locally. And that's a local story that went national, um, mm-hmm. which is another way of looking at this this whole dynamic. Without yeah. local reporters on the scene that day, people around the country still wouldn't have known what was going on. No question. No question about it. Well, you've done some great work and you've been on the ground and really reporting at a, you know, in a lot of different places at a lot of different times. And now, uh, congratulations, you've got a great new show coming up. I'm excited about that. Yeah, thank you. You're going to be on it. Well, I, I hope so. I hope I have some smart things yes. to say when I join you. <laughs> yes, um, you do. So, all right. So when Joe Matthew isn't doing the news and all of the things he's doing, what else keeps you busy? Well, um, gosh, you know, the personal thing I've got, a, I, I have a, a 15 year old at home, which keeps things very interesting uh-huh. having a high schooler. I'm lovely. Uh, I have a lovely wife who has somehow uh, put up with me for 27 years. So, you know, there's always the pull of family and how you balance that with work and all of that. But if I'm doing it right, I, I get a chance to pick up my guitar every day or so and and kind of get my musical therapy that way. I'm also uh, I'm also a big wine geek. I'm a big food and wine guy. And I went to school for, I went to sommelier school, uh, which, which made the wine thing uh, even more annoying uh, for my poor <laughs> wife, but uh, there's just so much good stuff out there. It's one yep. of the best parts of life. So that's usually, you can find me out somewhere uh, on a Saturday night doing one or the other. I love that. Well, that's cool. I mean, you, I mean, that's what we do, right? I mean, we, we're so steeped in our, in our work and our business really everywhere. But I feel like Washington is one of those places where, you know, I like to make the joke that I've, I've gone on class trips where I should have called it a business opportunity because I was sitting next to two journalists and another communicator. And we were all talking about the news of the day. And I thought if we could only build this right. Um, But so much of what we do in this town is really sort of interwoven in, in our life. Um, So being able to, you know, sort of uh, get into the music or enjoy a glass of wine that you I mean, clearly, uh, it won't be the $5 variety that's in my home, but, um, and I'm only slightly Sometimes though, knowing about wine is knowing how to not spend too much on wine. You you find, (laughs) you find the nuggets out there. By the way, I'm so embarrassed. I I reach for Pulitzer. Uh, Peabody is what I wanted to say. I, my mind just completely blanked on that. It's one of the, one of the great points of pride to get on a stage at that, on that day with, with none other than Anthony Bourdain. And you oh, think wow. about like, wow, these the, like, you know, the, the Peabody covers a lot of ground. Right. Yes. Um, and 
And so people from all walks of life are there. And here I was this local news guy who covered this horrible tragedy in Boston, but it really reminded us of the importance of what we were doing and, and what a story that was, because boy, that changed a lot of lives. I had friends that ran the race. I had friends that were there whose lives oh, were changed God. for forever um, yeah. in a lot of different ways. Uh, for many of us, 9-11, I, w- I lived 9-11, so what, many of us had that experience and yes, um, have had those marks sort of left on our lives. So yes, um, and by the way, the best part about the Friday Reporter podcast is that we we talk about things in and out of order, and sometimes we forget the names of other stuff, and it's just right. the fun of the you. show that you're doing with Lisa, so thank you. Um, you're good with that. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So as we get to uh, the end of our conversation today, I'm curious, who is it? I should be talking to next for an episode of the Friday reporter. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. Um, how, okay. So while I'm thinking of a good answer, mm-hmm. how do you pick like, I, I know I was very flattered that you would ask me to talk to you here. Cause you know, I'm keeping good company with like the best journalists in the world. How do you, how do you come up? What's the criteria? Well, so the show started as a conversation with some of my best journalist friends from Capitol Hill, right? I had spent time working in the speaker's office and I had spent time working as a public affairs professional. Um, And I just started going through my list of some of the folks that I call pretty often, you know, either to pitch a story or to check in about, you know, what's happening, how is it going? Um, And so that's how the list began. Although I think I think our episode might be the 103rd episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. So the way, thanks. And so the way the conversation really started was, um, as you well know, when you get a call from outside of the building from somebody who has a story for you, if it's not someone that calls and says, I work with Anne-Marie and she told me to reach out, you might not be able to get right back to them because it, you don't necessarily know about where the story is coming from or who it is that, um, you know, this person is that's contacting you. So the criteria that I ask for at the end of every episode is really who is it that you work with either in the newsroom, whether it's someone in Massachusetts, it really could be anyone, yeah. anywhere, um, really just good conversations. I've been lucky enough to have conversations with journalists from New York, journalists from uh, Arizona, journalists from Colorado. uh, And I'm really just, um, I'm curious mostly about how you get into the business, how it is you maintain your career in a, in a business that is very tumultuous Mm -hmm. and how it is, um, you know, stories that come to you are of interest in what it is you care most about, which is part of the reason why I asked about balance of power, because I knew that it was sound on that actually informed some of that uh, new um, formatting that'll be coming. So my question to you is primarily, who is it that you think would be a great conversation for another episode in the future? This is great. What a great answer. And thank you uh, for for noticing all of this. My goodness, I feel so seen. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, if if we leave the beltway for a minute, of there's, course. A, there's a political reporter in Boston by the name of John Keller. I, I have a thing for survivors, and I think you do, too. Actually. I do. I'm just going to project that mm-hmm. uh, someone who's survived a lot of cycles, a lot of budget cuts, a lot of crazy interviews, a lot of moments when people might have criticized what you were doing or celebrated it. And and decades later, you're still on top of your game. He's the dean of political journalists in Boston. He has everyone's cell phone number. He's a tough interview. 
And he's also the first debate for any race that happens up there. Everyone has to go to his into his lion's den, or as he calls it, the cocoon of horror, before they can be taken seriously. And I'll bet you guys will be fast friends. I I'll love tell it. John that you might call. I will. Well, I'll tell him you nominated him, and I'm grateful for that. And Excellent. you know, and the list continues to grow. Um, of, of great journalists that have been recommended. Some can do, some can't. Um, and there's no pressure, right? This show is about about the value <laughs> of the work that you guys do. I admire it. Um, obviously, I it's an interchangeable relationship between the, the PR person and the, uh, the journalist. So I'm right. super grateful for your time today, Joe. And I'm so glad we had a chance to have a conversation. This is like my safe space. I love this. Thank you so <laughs> much, Lisa. You know how much I, I'm a fan of yours. And so when we're done here, we turn the tables again. I'll talk to you on the radio a little later on. You bet. Thank you again. You're the best. Thanks. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.